2: For the film Zootopia, seven creators worked to shape the story that began in the mind of Byron Howard. In the later portion of the five-year battle to bring Zootopia to life, major plot changes occurred while they remained true to an idea of discussing prejudices frankly throughout the film. Thanks to the aid of the writer's room and the guidance from Chief Creative Officer John Lasseter, along with the infamous Story Trust, sometimes known as the Brain Trust, Zootopia found its place among an ongoing list of Disney classics. In order of this audio interview, we spoke with co-director Byron Howard, producer Clark Spencer and co-director Rich Moore about the pop culture references in Zootopia, the Disney collaboration model, and serious themes in animated films. In addition to this audio format, the print interview for this conversation is available on Creative Screenwriting's website make sure to also stay up to date on creative advice and watch our weekly youtube series at creativeprinciples.live in vlog six we actually dove into the pixar brain trust and how that works to begin here's our chat with byron howard um
4: i pitched the idea about five years ago honestly to john lassiter it was right after um i finished working on directing tangled with uh nathan greno And when John asks you to to pitch new ideas, he asks you to come in with not just one idea but multiple ideas. And uh, at the time, Nathan and I were were pitching together, and we came in with six different concepts for different films. And there wasn't one that he thought was like the complete package, but one thing that like three of them had in common was animals that walked upright and wore clothing. (laughs) And so he said... This is a verbatim quote, I will do anything to support a movie that has animals running around in little clothes. And so he was very, he was very excited about the idea of doing uh, an anthropomorphic animal movie, which we have not done at Disney in a long time. Like We, we got very excited about that. And I, I loved uh, Robin Hood growing up, the 1970s Disney film. Mm-hmm. and um i was a big fan of that that uh, type of animal film and we had done sort of naturalistic animals like we had done uh Lion King and Bolt and you know animals on four legs that kind of thing but this was something we thought we could revisit and um and give new life to through the the amazing filmmaking technology that we had now so we uh for the Nathan jumped off to do uh another film uh, but i continued on with uh what at the time was called Savage Seas, and it was a spy movie with animals. <laughs> so it was an all-animal world. Humans never existed, but it was like more of a James Bond spy movie. And as I pitched this thing over and over, uh, I got the same response. Like everyone said, well, the spy thing, we've seen a lot. You know, you've got Incredibles and, and Cars 2, and you've got a lot of Bond stuff out now. So it's, it's there's a lot of that out there, but you have a really unique first act where these animals live in this all-animal city. And the suggestion was from the story trust and from John and uh, like everyone else I pitched you, like what if we took that first act and made that the whole movie? And that's exactly what the film that you see now uh, uh, became. And that's, uh, you know, I was joined by Jared Bush, who's our co- co-director and one of our writers. And he and I worked together for many years. And then uh, Rich Moore jumped on about a year and a half ago, and we all finished the film together. And so that's how the these, these things evolved. But most of these ideas do start with like this little – notion that grows into something much much bigger as it evolves over years and it's 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 like a living breathing thing it's incredible to see the the, uh the the film take on a life of its own and tell you what it wants to be
0: um how much do you like when you've you know shaped those into one movie and then stretch that act out into a longer movie how many rewrites and drafts go into that and how how um What's the most important factor? Is it you know emotion or sticking to a certain plot, or where can you kind of go
4: with that? Well, I'll answer the first part of that um, question. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, first, the you know, with the someone asked our screenwriter on Tangled, whose name is Dan Fogelman, he directs films now and writes a lot of films, and uh, he, they asked him when uh, the screenplay was done for an animated film, and it's it's really never done. Like he told the, that person that it was just we, and it's true, we constantly rewrite even up until. Uh, the last couple weeks of production on the film were constantly doing rewrites. So I would imagine we did a hundred plus drafts of the script over the years, and that's you know just small rewrites, big rewrites, major overturns, and it's a constant evolution to the point where it's almost ridiculous to track how many times we did it because it's just constantly in motion. So another writer who I talked to who worked. Uh, at Disney for a while said it's like trying to paint a moving train. <laughs> it just goes and goes and goes. And uh, especially when you get into production, things start moving so quickly and um, animation is so pricey and and it's hard to, hard to make changes after you've done uh, animation. So we really try to, as much as possible, work out the story and make it as strong as possible before we dive into production. But it doesn't always work out that way. And um, the second part of that question, like what's the most important thing? I would say that, you know, ultimately the the story itself is the most important if the story doesn't work uh as a film then all the most beautiful animation and pretty colors and uh amazing design won't won't help it so we we owe it to our crew to produce the strongest film we possibly can and usually that does like you mentioned come back to finding a strong emotional core uh that's going to get your um audience to invest in that character uh, that's driving the movie and uh, something that allows them not only to, to root for them, but something where they can look at that character and find something, uh, in common, uh, with, uh, in this case with Judy, mostly, you know, Judy is, is sort of driving the story you're following, uh, throughout the film, you're mostly in her POV. So she's largely the one we needed you to lock into and understand what she, what she wanted, but that's all, it's all critical. We really do try to balance everything between humor and, uh, having some kind of classic Disney pathos, pathos in there just to kind of make people cry and stuff. Because we want everyone to have this very complete experience with the film because I think people go to Disney films expecting not just to be entertained but also to have some sort of deep emotional reaction to the film. And it's it's tough to make it fire on all cylinders, but that's why we spend so long iterating and reinventing it.
0: Okay. okay. Um You you mentioned Robin Hood as one of your influences. What are some other influences either that got you into the business or that that came into, like, writing this film?
4: Oh, sure. You know, I I had a – my dad um, took me to films a lot with him when I was growing up. I used to – he took me to all sorts of things uh, growing up, like just – even just crazy stuff like (laughs) – what was that? Was that uh, Billy the Kid? It was I can't remember. It was I can't remember who. Gore Vidal's Billy the Kid. <laughs> it was like at a drive-in theater. It's a super violent movie. I think I saw it when I was like seven years old. I don't think he knew I was watching, but I and Westworld was in a double feature with it. And this was during the 70s, and I went to uh, Star Wars with Star Wars with my dad, of course, and I watched that with him. He was a big sci-fi geek, and um, I kind of caught the the film bug from him. So I always had an appreciation for film and uh and growing up i had you know favorites like you know the godfather and all that you see in the movie and mm-hmm. and uh amadeus i love and you know as i got into college i thought i wanted to be a live action film editor and i was doing that for about a year until i i saw who framed roger rabbit and that that was the most interesting film to me because i i liked disney animation before but i had never really thought to look at it deeply and that film was so daring and different in what it was trying to do, um, that I really respected that. And that got me to shift my whole focus to finding out how I was going to be a part of this animation business. And I'd always drawn, uh, as a kid. So I kind of shifted everything I did to kind of now focus on how to become a part of Disney. And after 25 years, I've been, uh, I've been at Disney for about, about 25 years. So that's, that's kind of how it went, but, um, but it is, you know, I didn't start off wanting to, direct animated features I really kind of evolved into it through being uh a cleanup artist and an animator and a supervising animator and then uh kind of fell into um directing but it's a great job because it really combines everything you could possibly ask for. You know, I, I love music, I love cinematography and uh layout and composition and animation and acting and it all blends together in this job. Um so it's I I feel very, very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the Godfather scene. Well, I think we'll also notice, like you know, references to Breaking Bad and other pop culture like that.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you guys go about deciding what kind of you know what just to put in and how to how to use those effectively?
4: Well, you know, it's it's, it's funny. We don't um, randomly sit around the table and just kind of try to stuff stuff into the movie. It kind of it right. evolves from a place where we uh, kind of sit down and we we say, well, this it would be great. Uh, for Mr. Big, for example, the Godfather character, we uh, we sat down and we said it would be funny in this world, since scale is a big deal between uh, different types of animals, if the most dangerous mob boss is a really tiny animal, and we, we knew from our research that the most vicious predator on earth, and this is no lie, this is true, is uh, the shrew. The shrew mm-hmm. is, like, I, if you ask any uh, animal expert, they're the most vicious carnivore because they have to consume three times their body weight per day to survive. <laughs> right. and, and if you put four shrews in a bucket and uh, you cover up the bucket and come back uh, after one night and uncover the bucket, you'll have one fat shrew left and all the other shrews <laughs> will be dead because <laughs> they're, they're really mean. And that's why we thought, okay, so a, a mob boss who is... A shrew is very funny. So, and we we love The Godfather, and we thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if we did a little tribute to Brando and to um, Francis Ford Coppola, and kind of put a little Godfather veneer on this, and just kind of just let let's see how how far we can we can go, and kind of uh, being inspired by the film. And we 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 studied Brando. We we watched. You know, the, we got together with the animators, and we studied. Um, the, his acting and stuff, and the uh, the voice artist who did his voice is named Maurice Lamarche, and he does a terrific Brando that we just pitched up, <laughs> you know, about about fifteen or sixteen percent, and and it worked, uh, it worked great. And then it's it's really so it's it's all sort of by need. It evolves kind of like that. We kind of step through it, and uh, the Breaking Bad thing was kind of accidental because we had this this sheep lab, all right. Not to spoil anything, like people have seen it, but you know the the, the sheep that were cooking up this nasty formula and it was blue and then we thought that's that's a coincidence and then they we they had their have those ha- the hazmat suits on with the respirators and then we then we said well it's getting very similar to breaking bad but let's just embrace it and we named the characters uh Walter and uh Jesse and so yeah. and, and you know we kind of just went with it so and people loved that it, like around the world like there were even like in in Russia that was a hugely popular joke i guess breaking bad is big in Russia
0: right What's it like? It seems like it's kind of may, maybe I'm looking at a different way, but it seems like a lot of um, things, you know, ideally meant for children are now kind of, you know, playing to both audiences, young and adult. What's it like writing jokes in that like this new specter that we have?
5: Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's
4: uh, yeah, it's true. It's like we're we're really happy with the fact that um, Zootopia got a very broad audience. Like we've got as many compliments from families as uh, from you know adults and you know uh, and uh, teens and college age people as we have from families and and kids you know we it's 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 good that's a, that's a good balance because we're we have a responsibility um uh to the affection that people have for Disney like we don't want to uh step on that at all and we have this great affection for Disney itself and there's this um this kind of goodness that <laughs> exudes from Disney films and uh, kind of a, tr- a tradition that it's going to be something lasting and worthwhile and uh, sort of timeless. And, but at the same time, our audiences are so smart now that, uh, especially with the contemporary comedy, that it was great to see that they got a kick out of the same kind of stuff that we did, you know, like the DMV, which is a joke that the kids probably wouldn't get exactly, right? They've never been to a DMV, but their parents totally get it. Like in, in Belgium, I, I was watching this the Flemish audience. They were watching the film in Flemish, and there's one guy who's probably my age. He was in his 40s. He was cracking up at the, at the sloth scene, and I looked down, and his son, who was probably five or six years old, was not looking at the screen. He was looking at his dad, and he was cracking <laughs> up at his dad cracking up, and I thought it was such a sweet moment that those – that kid will always remember his dad cracking up at the movie that he he probably liked too. And so there, I remember that again. Going back to going to films with my dad, and seeing him get excited about things we were seeing on the screen and talking about movies. And I think that's a great target for us um, to to aim for is to not exclude any one age group. You know, just really to try to write these things carefully because it can, it can be done. You know, we don't have to talk down to the audience. We can be uh smart we can do things that are really complex like zootopia is a very complex layered film and uh and kids got it older people got it uh you know and, and people who understand sort of so you know the, the social ideas that everyone gets gets it and so it's it was really uh gratifying to see that people really connected with it
0: okay well very cool i think we're uh, running short on time I'm also speaking with Rich Moore and Clark Spencer. Now, is there anything else that you would like to add, or that questions I could ask them?
5: Uh,
4: <laughs> I don't know. They're they're great guys. I mean, I, I've worked with Clark many times, and this is the first time I got to work closely with Rich, but he's terrific too. And uh, Rich has a great tradition coming from Simpsons and Futurama, and. Uh, And both of us have a love of uh, film noir. You know, we watched many, many noir films and trying to create this film. Like, you know, we're huge Chinatown fans. And Mm -hmm. uh, he loves Double Indemnity. I think that's his probably favorite movie. And so, yeah, anything like that, I'm sure he'd uh, he'd love to talk about.
1: You know, uh, working at Disney Animation as a producer, there are lots of projects in development. And Byron Howard, who's one of the two directors, when he was developing Zootopia, started to talk to me about this idea. And and Byron and I had worked together all the way back on Lilo and Stitch uh, a long time ago and knew each other and really liked each other. And when he pitched the concept of Zootopia, I just fell in love with the world of the story. And I fell in love with this idea of predator and prey, two animals that have to figure out how to live together and thought it was gonna be a great project to be a part of. And so I, I actually begged. Um, John Lasseter, who's our chief creative officer, I said, I really, really, really want to produce this movie. I was just finishing Wreck-It Ralph at the time, and I said to him, I don't need to go on vacation. I will jump right on the movie. I really want to be a part of it. And and so that's what I did, and I'm lucky enough to have gotten it.
0: From a like producer standpoint, how long are you involved with a film like this? Like How, like how long ago was it when you first started and, and things like that?
1: So I came on in 2012, so I was on for four years, but usually the film, the film took five years from the very, very beginning to the final product. Um, usually the director spends about a year without a producer. John encourages our directors to spend time themselves, oftentimes with a screenwriter, um, sometimes maybe with a production designer, really doing research and developing the concept of what it would be uh, before they actually start thinking about how are we going to make this movie. So usually that's done with a very small group and no producer. It sits in development. And then about a year later, a producer comes on who starts to actually build the team and, and manage the project to its, to its uh, final result.
0: Um, so what's it like producing an animated movie? How does that all come about? And, and can, you, can you describe some of the differences in like a regular producing job versus animation?
1: Yeah, you know, in live action, oftentimes a live action producer is out there. They find the project themselves. They are out there trying to get a director to be involved. Maybe they try to hire an actor to help get a studio to want to buy that project. In animation, those parts don't exist because you know, at Disney Animation, obviously the company itself is 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 um, funding these animated projects, and the directors are developing the projects themselves. And I think it's a really important element because. John Lasseter doesn't want Disney to find stories and give them to a director, they really want it to be a case where the director has the story in, in themselves that they want to tell because these movies take four to five years to make. He really believes it has to come from the director's heart and be a passion project for them. So he really encourages that aspect of it. So from that standpoint, they're very different. After that, they become similar for a while because... What happens is as a producer you're still responsible for building the entire team, for trying to help the directors get their vision up on the screen, managing a budget, managing a schedule. Um, But I work really deeply with the 550 people who are making the movie to figure out how I make their jobs easier. That's kind of what my role is. But then when you get to the end part of the process, as a producer, because I work on an animated film, we're very involved in all the merchandise that's getting created for the film. We work with the marketing teams to look at all the marketing plans and how we're going to market the movie. We work with the theme parks as the theme parks consider what they're going to do with these characters, publishing all of those parts of the company we're deeply as producers involved in.
0: Um, You said of those 550 people, it looks like there's eight writing credits. Um, How does that all come about? Uh, Do you have some experience with how they work together in the room and things like that?
1: Absolutely. So there there are two screenwriters, uh, which was Jared Bush and Phil Johnson. They wrote the screenplay themselves. You're right. There's seven people we give story by to seven people. Um, the way we divide it up is we have, you know, obviously people who fundamentally are writing the dialogue and, and figuring out that piece of, of the puzzle and doing the screenplay. But we use a we're a very collaborative environment. So when it comes to building the story, we tend to have more people involved in that part of the process. So there were seven people involved in building the fundamentals of what the story might be. And that included the two directors, so Byron Howard and Rich Moore, the two screenwriters, Um, Jared and Phil, are two co-heads of story. We have people who head up our story department who work with the story artists. Um, Those two co-heads of story are part of that. And Jen Lee, who was uh, a partner of ours, Rich Moore and myself on Wreck-It Ralph, and also was one of the directors and writers on Frozen. She loved this movie from the beginning, so she was a big part of helping build the characters and the overall, again, story elements. Um, so we divide those things into two things. That group of seven spent a lot of time in a room talking about who are our characters and what is the journey Judy, Judy needs to go on and what is the point where her flaw comes out and how does the mystery work. They, they build the basic outlines and the basic uh, plot points of the film, but then the screenwriters, Phil Johnson and Jared Bush – they're really the ones who have to put the you know, rubber to the road, and they have to figure out the dialogue and figure out exactly how we mechanically bring all those parts together. So it's, it is a really collaborative group of people that work together, and they're from beginning to end. I think sometimes in live action you see things where people were on at one point, and then somebody else came on, and then somebody else came on, and somebody else came on. We tend to work as a group from the beginning to the end. It's just, it's just our process here in animation.
0: Um, what's it like? Okay, with well, the animated film, I spoke with Byron earlier, and obviously, yeah. if you know, if you start making the writing the film, making the film, all the time it goes, all the time and money goes into animation. Um, do you have anything came up where there was like some some plot hole went backwards or something like that? Obviously, you can't change too much once that amount of money goes in. Is that, does that ever come up in your films?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we um, – I don't know if Byron talked about it, but the original version of the film, Nick was our protagonist. He was our main character, mm-hmm. and we actually built that version of the movie very deeply um, until about a year before the movie came out, and we looked at that version and said people are not – rooting for Nick as a character, and you've got to have your audience root for your main character. He's, he was too cynical for the audience to root for, and so we made a big switch and said, Judy should be the protagonist, the rabbit character should be, and that was a massive change in the story and film, and required many things that we had created and many things we'd actually animated to be taken out of the movie. Um, but the thing that I love about John Lasseter, who's our chief creative officer here at Disney Animation, what I love about him is his feeling, and it's so strong, is the story has to be great. And so we're not going to release a film just because there's a release date. We're going to release a film because the film's great. Now, our release date did not change. But right. it, we went in and we retooled the entire story, and the team had to work even that much harder to get everything to kind of pivot and change to be towards this new version with Judy as our, as our main character. And as we started to look at that version of the film, we could all feel just how right that idea was. We could really feel that it was going to work. And so then everybody, all the artists really rallied around making all those changes and getting the movie done. And it was, it was really hard, but I think the payoff has been incredibly Um, humbling and rewarding in terms of the way that the the film has been embraced uh, around the world. It's been amazing.
0: Byron and I spoke earlier, we touched on the subject of how some animation cartoons and films that that are mainly good for children, at least in the past, have a lot of jokes that are meant for adults as well as as kids. Can you elaborate anything about that with story or with how the merchandise and other products are being made to kind of fit both groups?
1: Well, it's true. I think we really feel strongly here at Disney Animation that animation is a medium. It's not not something that should just be for families with kids. It should be for people of all ages, and it's just a way to tell a story. And if we do our jobs well, we'll tell a very entertaining story that can be entertaining and emotional for people of all ages. So that really is our fundamental goal, which means going in – as we build the world and the characters, we have to think about how do we have humor that's going to play at both levels. Now, we don't do it like it's a science. We don't sit there and say how are 50% of the jokes for adults and 50% are for kids. Right. But we do look at can we, can we make the humor come from the characters themselves. So I'll give a couple examples. Flash is a character in the DMV. Right. That scene, as we looked at it, we said, well, kids don't know what it's like to stand in line. They don't know what a Department of Motor Vehicles is. But the the sloth is a funny animal. It looks funny, mm-hmm. and when it talks slowly, kids will think it's funny. Right. Adult adults will relate to it because they've been in that line before and they've been frustrated like Judy is, where they just want to figure out how do I help you? How can do I need to jump over the counter and do the job myself? So that's where we are playing in on both levels, Mister Big. Is another example because – and we talked about it in the room, which is if we go down the path of using the Godfathers and doing an homage homage to it, sorry, um, how will that feel for kids? And our theory was, well, if we do it as a character named Mr. Big who's actually just a small shrew, kids will think that's funny. And they'll think the shrew looks funny because it does. It's a funny-looking animal. But adults will think it's funny because they'll know, oh, that's a Marlon Brando type character, and this is a scene from The Godfather. They'll get that element of it. So it's those things where we try to let it come from the characters themselves that allowed us to have things that would play for both kids and adults. And I think we have to do that so that we continue to show the world and and the audiences out there that these films are for everybody. Is
0: there anything you'd like to add about the film?
1: Um. Well, I'm incredibly proud of the film. I have to tell you, you know, you spend. I was on it for four years, and it's a it's a it's a big part of your life. And you always wonder, going into it, how is the film going to do when it goes out there? Because you can't control all of that. At the end of the day, there could be many factors that make films successful or make films be great films that people just didn't get a chance to go see and so to have been on this journey to see how hard the crew worked and to see us make a big change story-wise so late in making of the movie and have that all yield a movie that's been incredibly well embraced both by critics and by audiences has been you know probably the best moment of my entire life and career and I'm I'm really proud of that fact, and proud, and I'm really you know proud to be here at this Disney Animation Studio at this moment, um, working with someone as incredibly talented and in, as incredibly generous as John Lasseter. I mean, I I kind of feel like I'm one of the luckiest people alive, and I know that will seem like a bunch of um, you know magical dreaming thinking, but it's true. I mean, John Lasseter is a pretty amazing guy from a storytelling standpoint to get to work with and I learn so much from him every day. So it it's been it's been an incredible uh ride for me.
0: I'm speaking with um let's see. Uh Rich Moore next. Do you have anything yes. to add Kim uh, specifically that would be good to ask him?
1: Well, he's the other director on the film, so I think um anything you know any of the story wise things about how the film evolved, and you know you got some of the information from me about changing the main character that that's obviously um an interesting piece of it um I think exploring the concept of bringing a movie that deals with a theme about bias because that's a pretty brave element, and the two directors were very specific on wanting to bring that into the movie, that's a pretty brave thing to try to do in an animated film and still make it entertaining. Like, how do you balance those things? That was tough, so that could be an element to explore, or even the concept of a mystery. I mean, animation does not do mysteries, so that was also something that that both of them, Byron and Rich, felt strongly about, so I think anything in those veins would be really interesting to get his point of view on. Um, Can you
0: tell me... Kind
5: of how you got involved with the film? Um, Well, I got involved with Zootopia originally as um, it was about five years ago when Byron first had the idea of of making a new Disney animation talking animal film. Um, I got involved as part of the story trust um, and that's that's kind of all the directors here at the studio, some of the writers, some of the story artists. And we're always there to kind of support our fellow directors uh when when they're creating uh a new project and, and um making a film. So I I got involved with the, the movie about, like I say, five years ago from kind of its conception. And kind of followed along with it in kind of an ancillary, you know, uh, fashion until about, um, it was about the end of summer of 2014 um, when I started on as a co-director with Byron on the film. When um, it started to take, the story took a big left turn and um, it it became, uh, the movie became more of a two-person job rather than like a single director job.
0: Um was was that was the turn that happened, was that about the protagonist?
5: Yeah, that's when that's when we decided that um we want to try telling the story with Judy as the main character instead of Nick. For the longest time, Nick was the main character of the story. Um and we were finding that it was very hard, you know, to kind of because the story was about the the um, the difficulty of a predator living in Zootopia. And in that version of the story, the city was much more oppressive towards predators, you know, so this was more of a story about Nick not liking the city of Zootopia, you know, and, and being unhappy with it. And um, it, it created this, this kind of problem for us because um, we designed this amazing city, you know, and that felt really cool you know with all these different kind of districts to it and um, you know a desert right next to a, a tundra you know for all the different animals to live in but we found like that the the audience you know because of the theme of the movie and just Nick's struggle that they didn't really like the city that much you know that people were saying like well why doesn't he just leave you know it's like why I don't, I don't want to see him you know fix the city of Zootopia because it feels kind of Broken beyond repair, you know. But I, I don't like a city that would do this to, to its uh, citizens. So we took a big step back and we said, well, maybe we're trying to tell this the wrong way, you know. Maybe we should have Judy as the main character.
0: We mm-hmm. already uh, into the animation point, or is that still like just on paper?
5: Kind of uh no, it was it was it was uh in production at that point. It was beyond just development. You know, there were scenes that were being uh produced, you know, and so this was a big deal to uh that late in the game to kind of put the brakes on and say, I don't know, guys, you know, it's like I I don't think I don't think we're doing our due diligence on this one. Um it it doesn't feel right, you know, it didn't it didn't feel like the movie that Byron had kind of shared with me when, when he first, you know, was conceiving of the idea, you know, it didn't feel like that movie. It felt like something different. And, um, and it it really was kind of wanting to have that whole um, aspect of it being this kind of oppressive police state to be kind of stripped out. You know, it, it didn't feel like a, Uh, a world that we could relate to, you know, it felt like a very, uh, dark world.
0: Right. Um, there's a lot of, um, like story by and and writing credits on this. What's it like Mm -hmm. working with a group of of seven to eight people on, on a story? Like how does that all work together logistically and then day to day?
5: Um, well that, the reason that it has, um, there's two screen writers, Phil and Jared, um, and, and they wrote the pages of, of the film. And the story by credit, the reason that we have seven people there is because that's basically the seven people that work day to day in the room together to craft the final story after we did take that big turn, you know, of changing uh, our, our main character. Um, and it was great working with those people. To me, it's like they represent the the best working today you know the the best of the best as as far as story is concerned so um i i really enjoyed like like being with that group of people you know i think there's nothing like the feeling you know of uh making a movie like this and working side by side with people that you respect you know and that you love and and that you share sensibilities with or even if you don't you know the fact that you're all kind of as a team trying to make this thing the best it can be. And everyone is bringing, you know, their a game to it. And I mean, I, it's, it's everything that, that I ever wanted, you know, and that's why I got into this business was to, to work with people like this. Mm-hmm.
0: Is that the same group as the, what you call it, the story trust earlier?
5: Uh, the the story trust is a bigger group of people and uh-huh that would be all the directors here at Disney Animation and uh the writers uh working here and um and some of the heads of story, you know, that are part of that group. Um and this group of and that's a group of about 25 people when they're all together. Um this would be this would this was a group of 7 people that were working just on Zootopia, you know, that we were dedicated right. just to this film. Um, and, and then what we'll do is we'll have these moments where we will put together, you know, a a finished kind of version, a very rough version of the movie. That's just like little story sketches and a kind of a temporary soundtrack, but it's like a movie, you know, it's the length of the movie and we'll watch it, you know, just to see kind of how things are working and, and we'll get the feedback, you know, from, from that bigger group, you know, um, and have like a little discussion. We'll spend an afternoon kind of talking about what worked, what didn't, you know, um, and kind of take all that, you know, the discussion from that screening and kind of decide where we're going to go next, you know, with the film.
0: When I spoke with the producer, he mentioned that you you guys really want to stick with the theme of having not, not really prejudice, but I guess a bias towards the two you know groups in this. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. on, on how you stuck with that store, that process and um, that idea? Well, we, it, it, like
5: I felt when I came on board to the movie, you know, I thought, well, this is, this is really, you know, th- this is a great challenge, you know, to take something, um, something like discrimination and bias and, and stereotyping and, and have a frank, you know, discussion about it in a film, you know, that's where it's not, the goal was like we should never feel like we're we're preaching, you know, and saying like this is bad, you know, and and now Judy has solved, you know, discrimination. You know, we we really wanted it to be more of a of a an issue that we were seeing in play in this world, you know, and our main character being kind of falling prey to it herself, you know. Um and we felt like this, you know, really making a movie that has something, that is about something, you know, and um, and, and holds that so kind of close to its core, you know, that the whole story kind of revolves around those themes, you know, makes it feel like this is this is something new, you know, this has not been done before and this will kind of set this talking animal film apart from the others, you know, because... We, my whole thing with like talking animal films and where the, all the, the the different animals live in a city, you know, as a kid, I would always ask like, well, how is it that like a lion and a, and a sheep became friends? You know, it's like don't they still want to eat each other? So we really wanted to kind of explore that and say like, okay, well, they solved that in the past, you know, so and they have this kind of social contract, you know, that they live by, but then. The cool thing to me was like, well, what if that broke? What if it all fell apart? You know, what would happen to their world? You know, and um, and and the and the wild thing about it was how much it became kind of a metaphor for our real world. You know, that that suddenly I was starting to see like parallels, like and things were happening in current events and in the news that it felt like, man, this this feels timely. You know, it feels like that we've kind of hit on something that, that is important, you know, to, to the audience. And, um, and that just, you know, made it even clearer to us like that. We really had to kind of give a genuine, you know, story here, not, not tell something that felt cliched or, or tried to simplify, you know, the issue, you know, we wanted to be very, um, very genuine with it.
3: Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter, where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, You'll get access to the ebook "How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block." This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on CreativePrinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's CreativePrinciples.live.